This is Meredith, and you're listening to The Backdrop, part of the Launchpad for Pomona Valley Church. Hi there. It's so good to be with you all today. If you have never listened to an episode of The Backdrop, these are a new experiment that we are doing. Supplemental episodes that support our sermon podcasts. Now that we're having a bit of a gathering during the fall, and because we only preach 15 minutes, we've decided to try having these bonus episodes that offer a peek into other pieces of research or glimpses into the passage that might not have been central to our sermon, but are still interesting and valuable nonetheless. At least, we think they're interesting, and we hope you find them valuable. This is a bit of an experiment, so if you have thoughts or feedback for us as you listen along, we would love to hear from you. And you can reach out to us at PomonaValleyChurch at gmail.com. So with all of that said, let's dive into today's passage. We are in John chapter 1, verses 10 to 18. And because you might be listening in a car, or even if you're not, I'm going to start our time by reading those verses for you, just to give you a sense of where we are. It says, The true light that gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. John cried out saying, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Now, as we explore these verses, don't worry if you, like me, feel like John can be a bit vague, enigmatic, unclear. John has a way of writing that actually would have been quite clear to his initial audience, Gentiles throughout Ephesus, but can leave us several thousand years removed, a little bit murky feeling. And that's okay. Here's what I'd love for us to explore today in this episode of The Backdrop. The first is around this idea of the incarnation. In John, you're going to see the word word in this prologue, chapter one. The word was there at the beginning and the word became flesh. In Greek, you'll see logos, And Curtis made a brief note in this other episode of The Backdrop about that idea. What I want to note this time is simply that in this passage at verse 14, when the word becomes flesh and makes his dwelling among us, when the logos becomes flesh, that's the last time John is actually going to use that word for the rest of the book. Once the word becomes flesh, then the story of the God in flesh moves on. The son or the Messiah will be what John says from now on. 
He wants us to notice that once God has come in Jesus, then we should be looking to Jesus, the whole of Jesus, to understand more fully what God is doing now. John's also speaking to something incredibly important, something that was a conversation for especially early Christians. Was the Logos just pretending to be flesh? seeming to be flesh, some sort of amazing God-created hologram walking around in the ancient Near East? Or is it, what John wants us to notice, that the word became flesh is now fully this other being of a fully God, fully person walking around the earth in Jesus Christ? And so we see some important things happening in the word usage in John 1, 14. Now, beyond just what is happening, there is something more significant, which is, why is it happening? Why is the incarnation so important? And what is God up to? Today, I would love to poke just a bit at one of the common narratives that we hear if we have been in Christian circles, which is that Jesus came to die for our sins. And it happens to flow from a few different things. One is the idea that the most pressing problem that humanity is facing are our own individual sinful choices. Therefore, we most need a savior to forgive us of those sins. But as Curtis and I have spoken to along the way in this podcast, we believe that scripture points to sin in a more broad, communal, and nuanced way. And that therefore the need for a savior addresses all of those issues, not just an individual's personal choices. And there's a lot of the incarnational story in John 1 that reminds us of this. Because what John says in the passage we're looking at today is that Jesus gave people, not just Jews, but Gentiles as well, the right to become children of God. For John, the problem is that people don't know they are invited to join the family. And the solution of the incarnation is to know that you can become God's children and be brought home to the family of God. That's something far bigger and broader than simply having one's sins forgiven. To put it another way, I'd love to read just a brief quote from Rachel Held Evans. In her book, Inspired, which looks at scripture, She also takes on this idea that Jesus only came to die for our sins at the end of it all. And here's what she says. Any view that reduces Jesus to necessary only for a single moment of rescue strips the incarnation of all its power and tells a far simpler story than the one the Bible actually gives us. Jesus didn't just come to die. Jesus came to live, to teach, to heal, to tell stories, to protest, to turn over tables, to touch people who weren't supposed to be touched and eat with people who weren't supposed to be eaten with, to break bread, to pour wine, to wash feet, to face temptation, to tick off the authorities, to fulfill scripture, to forgive, to announce the start of a brand new kingdom, to show us what that kingdom is like, to show us what God is like to love his enemies to the point of death at their hands, and to beat death by rising from the grave. Jesus did not simply die to save us from our sins. Jesus lived to save us from our sins. Rachel Held Evans puts it so well that what John is doing here in chapter 1 as he talks about the incarnation is cueing us to the reality that all of God's actions in Jesus matter 
for human salvation. We are not only saved through the cross and resurrection. We're saved because God became a human like us and by entering into humanity is able to rescue it all, transform it all, and redeem it all. St. Irenaeus put it this way, that which Christ has not assumed, he has not redeemed. Meaning that Christ entering the fullness of humanity and living through all of human experience is a part of how God saves us. It's not simply the cross and resurrection. It's the full incarnation life of Jesus, dying on the cross, rising again. The gamut together is part of how we are saved. I mentioned this quote from Marianne My Thompson as I gave this sermon about the passage, but what she points to is that in the prologue, John is helping us understand what God is doing. And then John wants us to realize that what follows in the pages of the gospel is the narrative of the life-giving work of the word that became flesh. Once God has become incarnate and taken on flesh, everything that God does from there is meant to give us new life, to replace the death that we have experienced through sin and all of its effects in the world and, yes, in our individual lives. There is a second theme I'd love to dive into a bit with this episode of The Backdrop, and it is to dive more deeply into incarnational responses that we have after reading John's prologue. John has given us something very rich as far as what God is doing through Christ, and it necessitates a response from us to go and do likewise. That is, God becomes incarnate in Jesus, and we are invited to live incarnationally with the world around us. But rather than say incarnationally over and over, I'm going to shift my language and I'm going to borrow from the Dynamic Adventure, which is a workbook that our partners Communitas created for new churches that are getting started. They call this idea embedding. When we embed, we get deeply connected to our context and our community. We become cultural insiders, knowing how people around us are experiencing their world, what's hard, what's joyful, what worries them. And we try very hard in the process of embedding to not make any assumptions, but instead to cultivate the discipline of incessant curiosity about our neighbors, about our community, about places that might even seem incredibly familiar to us. But part of what we do in response to the incarnation is to get curious so that we can better embed in the place that we live and show the love of Christ there. The idea is, to quote the workbook here, that our interaction over the life and teaching of Jesus ought to inspire and propel us outward into the world. And as we move outward, we root ourselves in the soil of our local settings. That enables us to identify with and get inside the soul Of our city. We believe embedding is an important part of the process for our church, but it would be important for you no matter where you're located and listening right now. That part of the response to seeing how Christ has come near is to think about getting more deeply rooted into the place that you live. 
Now, for us as a new church, this also helps us think about what it might mean for our communal identity. But even as individuals, knowing that embedding is an incarnational response as Christian people, that can be a source of encouragement and comfort. I think sometimes because Jesus left heaven to come to earth, something highlighted especially in Philippians 2, we think that our response should be to leave our homes and go somewhere new, foreign, adventurous, far away. It might actually be the opposite. That although Christ left heaven to come to earth, our cues ought to come from the way he came to earth. The fact that he picked a local spot cultivated a group of close friends, lived in a region, became familiar with its culture and customs, and lived within them. That's the cues we copy when we embed. Our response does not need to suddenly go far away in the name of Christ. Our response might actually be to come home to our community with fresh eyes to see who is here, what do they love, what's hard for them, and how could we know them better so we could love them better. And in that authentic relationship and with authentic love, invite them to come home to the family of God, like John is saying. To quote Dynamic Adventure one last time, we cannot demonstrate Christlikeness from a distance from those whom we feel called to serve. We need to get close enough to people that our lives rub up against their lives and that they see the incarnated Christ in our values, beliefs, and practices as expressed in cultural forms that make sense. As we wrap up today, my encouragement to all of us would simply be to consider how the incarnation, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, might be inviting you to get a little more rooted right where you are. That might feel easy and comfortable, It might actually feel challenging depending on where you are right now and whether you want to be there. But could it be that the response to the incarnation is not to go looking out for some adventurous and faraway calling, but rather to be staying put and getting very deeply connected to our community and our culture so that we can draw near to people and show love in a genuine and authentic way, just as Christ has shown love to us. We're going to wrap up this episode of The Backdrop there. As we continue on, let us know what parts of this are most helpful to you. If you want a ton of Greek, well, Curtis can do that part for you. But if there are questions you want answered or things you wonder about within a passage, we'd love to hear from you, and we hope that this is a helpful resource. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a great day. 